0: life liberty and the pursuit of happiness have you heard that phrase recently around the weekend you might hear it a little bit more maybe tomorrow what is that for a Christian what is life liberty and the pursuit of happiness all Americans have heard that we hear that our whole lives what about for Christian Americans what about for Christian Americans what in the world is that we're beginning a new series today called Simple Graces, and we're going to get back to the basics of what it is to live as a Christian. Back to basics, back to basics, always good. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6, 1 Timothy chapter 6. And we'll be reading Verses 6 through 10 and then 17 through 21. Before we read, let's pray. Lord, thank you. We pray that we would be always thanking you and praising you. We pray that we would be a, a thankful people. Lord, we thank you for the fact that you are here. By the power of your word and spirit, you are Present at your table. You are present as we fellowship with one another throughout the morning and before and after the service and throughout the rest of the day. You're not distant. You're not hiding. You are revealing. You are condescending. You are speaking to us in ways that we can understand. And Lord... We need to hear from you. So Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. We know that the Word of God is as sharp as the, so- as the sword. We pray that it would pierce. We pray that you would change. We pray that you would transform and conform our hearts. We pray that our hearts would be set on Jesus. The Holy Spirit would turn our heads and our eyes would be fixed on Jesus. We pray that now as we read your word, you would teach us, help us to see it and understand it clearly so that we can understand grace and the great blessings that you shower upon uh, your undeserving people. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin And destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. I love that phrase. That they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have wandered from the faith. Grace be with you. This is God's word. A couple of weeks ago, I received a phone call from a college student. Um, A a college student that uh, goes to a university up north of here that begins with an O, and wanted to uh I'm not getting into I went to University of Texas. I don't have a dog in that hunt. And boy am I glad. Uh and I went down and had lunch with him and he said Mr. Mercer It's always ominous when it begins Mr. Mercer. Mr. Mercer. I don't know who I am. Yeah yeah and I've been blessed with many things. What's my identity? I don't know what my my identity is. I'm not living the way I should be living. I have all kinds of questions about the meaning of life. I don't know what to do with myself. I, I don't know what the Lord is calling me to. All these easy questions, of course. Um, And I'm really struggling, but it comes down to, I don't know what my identity is. I don't know who I am. I'm I'm struggling with what life is about. Well, there are some teachers in the first century who are behind what's going on, what we just read in the first century. They're behind what, what Timothy and Paul are dealing with, and they have the answer. They have the answer. And the answer is not that complicated. Here's the first way to answer that question. First... You need... This is, these are what these teachers are teaching. First, the first thing you need to do is find yourself. The first thing you need to do is find yourself. The, the second thing you need to do is you need to escape from the ordinary. Escape from this ordinary, daily, messy stuff of life. Just get out. Find yourself. Escape from the ordinary. We're we're all trapped in in this unpleasant world. Now these people were called Gnostics. It's just from the Greek word uh, meaning knowledge. And they said, they argued, they maintained, they taught that this physical world was created by uh, an Old Testament God. They called him the Demiurge. That's just Greek for architect. And we are in chains in this world. This world is evil. Anything that's made of matter, anything that's physical, your body, bread and wine, this building, it is all meant to one day be escaped. It's, it's bad, and we're, we're stuck here. But fortunately, Jesus comes along, and what Jesus does, these false teachers are teaching, what Jesus does is he shows us how to find ourselves. He gives us an example of how to find ourselves, of how to find that divine spark that every one of us has, how to fulfill our dreams, how to look inside, how to find what's good about us, and how to find self-fulfillment. Now, this was all way back in the first century, and nobody teaches any of that stuff today, right? It's irrelevant. The Bible's irrelevant, right? No. You remember Maria on the mountain, swirling in the sound of music? Climb every mountain, search high and low, follow every byway, every path you know. Climb every mountain, ford every stream, follow every rainbow until you find your dream. Nothing comes from nothing, nothing ever could. So somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good. And that's another theological problem. We'll deal with that another time. (laughs) Until you find your dream, until you find yourself, you are down there, discover it. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Find yourself. Uh, she's a little out of, of fashion now, but very popular. A few years ago, uh, that, that uh, famous uh, theologian Shirley MacLaine, and, and she said the most pleasurable journey... I mean, she she says this. The most pleasurable journey you take is through yourself. The only sustaining love involvement you have is with yourself. The only thing you have is working to the consummation of your own identity and that's what I've been trying to do all my life, says Shirley MacLaine. Find yourself. And people in the first century and people in the 21st century that buy into this teaching that we've got to escape, we've got to find ourselves, we've got to look inward will inevitably do one of two things. They'll completely want to separate from the world. Let's go off and be by ourselves and, and leave the messiness of marriage, of work, of children, behind. I've got to find myself. Or they will just absolutely immerse themselves into the world. It doesn't matter anyway. It's all bad. Let's just have a good time while we're here. That's what they were doing in the first century, and that's what they're still doing in the 21st century. Well, what does Paul say in answer to this? What does God say in answer to this? Here it is Jesus Christ calls us not to escape from ordinary, daily, messy life, He calls us to see it in a whole new way. That's a big difference a very big difference from finding yourself and escaping. No, he calls you to wade into it in a new way. He calls you to walk right into the mess. Right into the ordinary, the daily, in a whole new way, with whole new eyes. With a whole new uh, perspective. And here's what Paul is saying. I want you to understand... A new way of contentment. I want you to have a new understanding of contentment. And secondly, I want you to have a new understanding of what it is to be rich. A new understanding of contentment and a new understanding of what it is to be rich. A new understanding of contentment. What Paul does here, he gives us a description of a Christian lifestyle. Uh, look, Look what he says Be content with food and clothing put your hope in God, be rich in good deeds, be generous, be willing to share, this is real treasure. This is real treasure and this is life that is truly life. God provides us with everything to enjoy. He gives us good gifts in this context. Of being content with food and clothing, putting our hope in God, uh, being rich in good deeds, being generous. It all sounds sort of ordinary. It all sounds like something we could do every day, no matter what the circumstance. And this is not pie in the sky. He goes on to give some, some warnings. People who want to get rich will fall into temptation. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The rich in this world, monetarily, should not be arrogant or put their hope in wealth. Uh, turn away from godless chatter. Now he's talking about the way you talk every day. Turn away from godless chatter. And opposing oppose oppose ideas, which are falsely called knowledge. You remember the t- the uh, tenth commandment, the final commandment, the last word, so to speak. What is it? Don't covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. It's the exact the, the Ten Commandments ends. <laughs> the last word is don't covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. That is, coveting is the act exact, opposite of content. What is your first response to somebody in your family? Think about your own heart. Let's do a little test here. The first response when your uh, neighbor drives up in a new car and says, "I've just inherited such and such a sum. Isn't that wonderful? We're buying a new house and moving out of the neighborhood. Aren't you? Aren't you anxious to share in our joy?" What's your first response? Why them? What? What? What splits families and drives wedges in families more than issues of money, inheritance? You have so many mixed emotions when we look at other people and what they have and what they give and what the Lord gives to them. And we're always thinking, why that person? Why them? I had the opportunity a couple of weeks ago, we've mentioned it on uh, Sunday morning to go to a place I'd always wanted to go, uh, Williamsburg. I've never been to, to Williamsburg and have been, I'm a history major, don't hold it against me, and, and I've, I've never been to Williamsburg, and I actually got to walk on some, it was a, it was a thrill for me. You know, I got to walk on the, the same steps that Thomas Jefferson walked, right up to where he went to school at William and Mary. Thomas Jefferson, who said, that we have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? Do you know anything about Thomas Jefferson's life? It's fascinating. I was, uh, after being there, I've, I've been reading about Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson lost virtually everything in life that he held dear that was important to him. And as I'm remembering, I, I, think, I, I believe every one of his children died before he did except one. He had a, a 17-month-old daughter that, that died, and a few months later, his, his mother died. He had an infant son that didn't live a year. Uh, his wife died shortly after giving birth uh, to a daughter, and shortly after that, that daughter died. And what did, what did Thomas Jefferson do? Thomas Jefferson, toward the end of his life, withdrew from all meaningful relationships and poured his life into traveling, into his home. And when he died, he was in so much debt that the day he died, his his family had to leave his home in Monticello and they had to put it up for auction to pay off his debts. a sad sad story so different from what Paul tells us in Philippians 4 for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content Philippians 4:11 I now know how to be brought low and how to abound in any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger abundance and need I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. This is one of the single most misused passages in the Bible. This doesn't mean that God is going to give me everything I want in every circumstance. It means that Christ will be my strength in all circumstances, good and bad, and I will be content in all circumstances, good and bad, in Him. Look at the context. Brought low and abound. Plenty and hunger. Abundance and need. Christ will be my portion. He will be my contentment in every circumstance. Good and bad. Up and down. Hard or easy. I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else, said C.S. Lewis. I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Contentment in Christ and him alone. Well, secondly, a new understanding of riches. What are riches? What what does he say? What's his emphasis here on riches? I was reading a foreigner's account of visiting visiting America recently came to America, made some observations. Here's what he says. Fascinating. In America I saw the freest and most enlightened people placed in the happiest circumstances that this world can offer. But, it seemed to me as if a cloud habitually hung over them. And I thought them serious and almost sad even in their pleasures. A native of the United States clings to this world's goods as if he's certain he's never going to die. He is so hasty in grasping at all within his reach that one would suppose that he was constantly afraid of not living long enough to enjoy all the pleasures around him. There is something surprising and strange uh, about the unrest in so many people. They are restless in the midst of abundance. Fascinating. And then he goes on, a couple more lines. He who has set his heart exclusively on the pursuit of worldly welfare is always in a hurry. For he has but a limited time at his disposal to reach and grasp. And at every moment, they think They're about to grasp it. It escapes at every moment from their hold. They are near enough to see its charms, but too far away to enjoy them. And before they have fully tasted all the pleasures and delights that they seek, they die. Wow. Again, that sounds like it could have been written... Yesterday was written in 1835 by Alexis de Tocqueville, a Frenchman, who came over and and saw all this abundance. And yet at the same time, the, the restlessness, the anxiety, the lack of contentment. Paul is not saying it's sinful to be rich. He's saying it's sinful to give your heart to money. It will break your heart every time. And then in verse 20, he says, O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. And actually behind that, there's a Greek word that's a financial word. The word literally means deposit. He's saying, Timothy, guard the deposit that's entrusted to you. After giving all of this warning about riches, he turns around and uses financial language to describe the gospel. What is this deposit? Guard the deposit entrusted to you. This deposit, this riches is the Gospel implanted in your heart. And this is a much better, Paul says here, it's a much better kind of saving. God has invested in you at the cost of His Son. Those are riches that no one can take away. 2 Corinthians 8, 9... For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. I've been given a lot of hard time this week about my face. Yeah, I'm kind of dark. Uh, I went to the beach. And uh, I don't like going to the beach. Uh, The idea of laying on the beach in the sand and sweating and getting salty, you know—that's this is called fun. I don't think that's fun. I don't like that. But I go. I go with extended family every year, and what I do is I walk. I walk on the beach, and I just walk around. I don't sit down very well anyway, and I walk along the beach. And I had a walk along the beach with my son. And he's not here. He's in another state, so I'm going to let you in on it. Uh, I'm sure he'll find out about it. But said, Harrison, many of you know that Harrison served in the, in the army. And I'll tell you, I, some of you may have relatives or friends or others that have served in the, in the services. But when you're sitting down with your son or going for a walk with your son, and you know because he's told you that he's killed people, it changes your perspective on things. And people have tried to kill him. And I said, Harrison, we, we're talking about this deposit. We're talking about the gospel. How, how did you maintain? How did you keep your sanity? How did you, in, in this life to which you were called when you were in Afghanistan for a year? Because I know that you were called to be there with your buddies and to serve with them. He said, you know, he said, Dan, after a lot of struggles and temptations and trials, I finally came to the point, I'll never forget this, I finally came to the point where he, I could say to my buddies, I will die for you, but I will not live like you. I'm here for you. I'm here for you. I, I, I've got your back, literally. But, you know, this is a rough crowd of guys. They're tough. And they're jumping out of airplanes and helicopters and and jumping into holes. And he said, "I, I will die for you. But I will not live like you. And it's what it is to live in this world. But it's a nice thought. It's very moving. But it's impossible without something else. Jesus Christ says, I'll die for you. But not only that, not only that, not only will I die for you, I will live in you and through you. And I will never forsake you. And I will never leave you. Find your contentment in that. Whatever you're calling, whatever you're calling, in every circumstance of every day, I love the fact that we we are beginning this new series with the the Lord's Supper. There's no greater picture of splendor and majesty and wonder and beauty in the ordinary than that. It's bread. It's juice. And Jesus Christ, who was a carpenter, a good one, and a king, a carpenter and a king says, Come, and I will meet you in a meal. I will meet you at a dinner table in in bread and wine. We are called by this same Jesus to be willing to die for one another, to die for others around us, knowing that we are being transformed, conformed uh, by by the power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and we can lift our eyes up and see God's wonder and grace everywhere Let's pray. Lord God you sent your son to die and I pray that we would never take that for granted it would never become old you sent your Son to take on flesh and to redeem that flesh, to come into this world and, and walk and learn a trade and be with people and build a fellowship, walking down the road with His, his friends and disciples. To live in perfect obedience to your law and yet to die Because he took on the punishment for the disobedience to that law, our disobedience. Lord, we pray. Help us, help us, help us, help us to see with eyes, to see with the eyes of Christ, that as we live at work, As we live in our friendships, as we live in our marriages, we would be kind, we would be generous, we would be willing to share, we would have our hope in God. We would recognize that He is showering us with good basic gifts everywhere we look and we wouldn't give our hearts to the wrong things, things that will break those very hearts every time. And we know that this is only possible because of Christ's grace. As he finishes this letter, grace to you. We praise you and thank you for that grace. And we pray that in every circumstance, we would remember that you strengthen us, you bless us, you bring us contentment. And we pray we would never forget, always cling to that deposit that's in our hearts, the good news, the gospel, new hearts, hearts of flesh, hearts that love, hearts that serve, hearts that sacrifice, just like Christ, and not following the wisdom of the first century or the 21st century that says, find yourself deep down inside, escape ordinary things. Give us eyes to see hearts to feel, minds to know and love Jesus Christ. We pray all of these things in His name. Amen.